We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Salute to Knicks Nation. CP from the Knicks Fan TV here. And this episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They work with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. Now, I'm always in the market for supplements that are both clean and give you a good performance. And what I like about Ladder is I'll take a pre-workout shake and it'll give you like a nice energy going into it. You get your workouts in, but it doesn't give you that hangover effect like a lot of the other supplements do. And then after my workout, I'll take a whey protein shake, even like vanilla or chocolate. And what I like about the protein shakes are they don't give you that aftertaste that a lot of the other shakes do. So you can actually mix it with water or I typically mix it with like a smoothie, a berry smoothie or a green smoothie. And it goes down right. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock the best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use this code better every day for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day for 30% off at ladder.sport. Peace. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Knicks all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. Here we go, starting the stream up. Salute to Knicks Nation worldwide, wherever you guys are watching from. CP from Knicks Fan TV. Special guest on the Knicks Fan TV podcast tonight. We're going to take a trip down memory lane and relive some of the classic uh, moments in Knicks history with someone who had a front row seat for it all. He's the host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM Radio with Rick Mahorn. And he's also the co-host of the Let's Get Technical podcast with Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells, which recently released. He goes by the name of Gerald Brown. Gerald, how you doing today, man? I'm doing fine, brother. How's everything going? Good, man. Definitely um, appreciate you coming on. Um, so let's get right into it, man. You 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 were born and raised in New York, Harlem, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Harlem, New York, born and raised. Harlem, USA, man. Uptown in the building. Um, when when did you become a ball boy with the Knicks? When did you get that role? Um, it had to be, I think, Patrick Ewan's second year in the league. It was funny, man, because I was uh, working on 125th Street. It was like one of these jobs where I wasn't old enough to get uh, on the book money. And so these guys had the sneaker store called Vet Sneaker Store, and mm-hmm. they were paying me off the books. So one night, this lady came in, and, uh, you know, I, I, she was gorgeous. And, man, she was so gorgeous and everything. She came in, and nobody really wanted to help her because we were closing up. Mm-hmm. came in and you know woman doing shoe shopping no offense she took her time and stuff and I showed her a pair of sneakers that she really enjoyed and she you know she felt kind of rushed but I told her I said no don't worry about it and just in the blink of an eye it's kind of like one of those old movies where she just said to me hey you like basketball and I said yeah I love it she said how would you like to work for the Knicks wow and I was like huh and she yeah. pulled out her card and told me give her a call and uh, she was the executive vice president of the NBA entertainment side, Leah Wilcox. Mm. And, uh, you know, Leah was the one that got me in there, went to see her that Monday. She made a phone call to the Knicks, uh, Mike Saunders. I went in for an interview. Legendary trainer Mike Saunders. Nice. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Rest is history. Nice, nice. So this is what, yeah, this is what, 86? Uh, 86, yeah. Cause 86. It was Ewan's, yeah, it was in second year, and I remember that... Uh, that year, Hubie Brown got fired midway through the season. I think mm-hmm. towards the tail end of the season, mm-hmm. Bob Hill cleaned it up and stuff. And I think Ewan got hurt um, because I think it was right around that time. It was like anticipating that him, uh, Ewan and Bernard, Bernard King would be able to play. And uh, I remember going to get Bernard King's jersey from and uniform from the cleaners. Uh, it was a cleaners right there on 8th Avenue. I went mm-hmm. down there and I was running through the streets with Bernard's, uh, it's like a single cleaners bag. And it had the uh, old uh, warm-up jacket and it said King on the back. So I was running through the streets and it was hilarious. People were just sitting there, oh, that's Bernard, Bernard. <laughs> it was a- <laughs> you, you know, that that was one of um, the most disappointing. I was only about three, four years old around that time. So I completely missed Bernard's era and even the beginning of Ewing. But I mean, okay. that was one of the more disappointing um, situations to not haven't been able to see those two guys play right like I mean from a from a fan standpoint how did you feel about that back in those days you know I I think that you know it was one of those things where you wanted to see what they could be like uh Bernard was a kind of a guy that um you know management kind of wrote him off they didn't really want to pay him they thought that he was uh really never going to recover but his past really uh, was one that it warranted to see how they would have matched up well and possibly, just possibly, if everything would have went well. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty because you think about it, Bernard doesn't have that injury somewhere down the line. You don't get Patrick Ewing in New yeah. York. And then if they would have held on to him, you could have had a combination of maybe Patrick and Bernard for some period of time, and then you throw in the mix and have a Mark Jackson come in there behind there. So it, it it was always an opportunity, but it, it just never worked out for the Knicks, you know, just never, never worked out. One, one of those what-ifs that continues to kill this franchise, man, continues to play yeah. this franchise. So, all right, so let's fast forward to 1988, right? Um, Rick Pitino's the coach. This is, this is your final season as the ball boy of the team. This was the infamous... Bomb squad. So Ewing was already on the team. You had Mark Jackson. You had Johnny Newman on the team. Um, You also had Trent Trent Tucker, who was a part of that bomb squad. Gerald Wilkins as well. 
That year, if we start with the construction of the team, that year they also drafted Rod Strickland. Now, we know Rod coming up from Gauchos, Mark Jackson coming up from um, Bishop Lachlan. What was that like? You know, what was the city like when we drafted Rod Strickland, knowing that we had Mark Jackson on the on the team as well? You know, it was really interesting because that was a team that um, I think that it was Rick Pitino's kind of like first year or so. And they had a ton of success. And, you know, they were able to, I think, make the playoffs and uh, snuck in as an A seed and everything like that. And I think, you know, back then you knew that they would have the makings of something because I think it coincided with them getting Rod Strickland. They drafted Rod Strickland. They made the trade for Bill Cartwright, for, uh, for Charles Oakley, for Bill Cartwright. Yeah. So you you had some pieces coming together. And, um, you know, I always look back on that and um, just conversations and talking with Coach Patino in the past. Mm -hmm. I really think that he was ahead of his time. And you look at that specifically era where you have the Knicks bomb squad. That was a team that I think, honestly, based upon the way they shot the three-point shot, if they were in today's game, you would probably say they would be something considered on along the lines of the Golden State Warriors because they relied heavily on that three-point shot. And really, I think, was, was something that caused Patrick Ewing to be more of a guy that would be able to face up and utilizing that little short jumper that he started to have in his arsenal later on in his career. Yeah, as you said, you know, Patino's really looking to space that floor around Ewing, surround him with shooters, um, full court press, you know, turn off the pressure on defense. They ended up attempting 1,147 three-pointers, shattering the record by 400 threes in the previous year. They made about 386 of those. So between Tucker, Wilkins, you know, Mark Jackson, uh, they, they were letting it fly out there, man, for sure. Another yeah. person, they, they ended up um, trading for Kiki Vandeweghe. But based on, on my research, they were after Chris Mullen fairly, um, you know, quite heavily. What, what did you think about the, the prospects of potentially getting Chris Mullen back in those days? I, I tell you this, it would have been something that first and foremost would have sold tickets. Uh, again, it would have been another face that is familiar with the fan base there. And also at that point in time, adding Chris to that mix who had played and started to come into his own after really a substance abuse battle. I thought that, you know what, he would really help that franchise and, you know, teaming up with Mark Jackson along with, uh, with Patrick Ewan. And now you have this sort of core guys of the big East, but um, I, I just thought it would have been great, but it was just always one of those things, you know, where the Knicks, I think at that point in time, you know, they could have drafted Ken, uh, Chuck Person. They ended up taking Kenny Walker. It just, they uh. were always in a situation where Kiki <laughs> Vandeweghe, an elite scorer in his time, but, you know, bad back and everything, really just never could do anything. And um, I, I just never understood even the drafting of Rod Strickland. Go back to a question you asked me earlier. Yeah. I never understood that point. And um, I think that the issues along that along those lines is really what kind of drove Rick Pitino to leave, uh, mm. you know, the Knicks and go to Kentucky because uh, some of the issues with the late great Al Bianchi and some of the people in the front office, it just became something that was out in the open mm. uh, after games and stuff. They weren't speaking. And, you know, Coach Patino was really full of himself back then. But, uh, you know, Al Bianchi and him really never got along. And, and it was just really a head scratcher yeah. for them to draft Raj Trickland, who, you know, with him and Patino was like oil and water from day one. Wow. Uh, another would-be Nick that got picked in that draft with Anthony Mason, 58th pick in the third round to Portland. 
uh, but you know would end up linking up with the Knicks a few years later. Who who was uh, the guy on the team that you were closest with during your tenure there? Was it Oak? Was it Ewing? Uh, you know, it's so funny because they were like brothers to me, and they still are. You know, I, I talked to you know Oak. In fact, he called me a couple of days ago. We check in. Um, Mark, I, I spoke to Mark, had him on the show a, a few months back and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Rod, I talked to all the time. Uh, Johnny Newman, Pat, and like I said, Patrick, uh, Oak, Trent Tucker. Yeah, it was just a real unique group of people, you know, and they were really just uh, family and brothers and stuff like that, where, you know, we would get along and we would kid and I would see them as these, uh, you know, phenomenal athletes and stuff, but just respect them as like my big brother, Gerald Wilkins, all of them, you know, just great, great guys. Real, real interesting, man. Very, very cool. So now this team goes on to win 52 games in regular season. They win the Atlantic they uh, would procure the second seed in the East. Do you remember, like, what the expectations were at that time? Like, did you really think the team could really make a run for it? Or do you think they kind of just overachieved and kind of just, you know, play it out through the playoffs and see where they end up? No, I thought this team really could make a run. And I think the way they were built, you know, with uh, bringing in some of the pieces that they had and having a guy like a Johnny Newman added to the mix who came into his own, yeah. the way they utilized that three-point shot was something that no other team, and if, I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe you had the West Coast teams who were really just running gun up and down the court, the Denver Nuggets, the Portland Trailblazers, the Lakers, of course, but the Knicks were really ahead of their time with Coach Patino and utilizing that three-point shot, and that three-point shot alone was something that was really 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 a deadly deadly weapon that they had and then lo and behold you have a a, a Charles Oakley is kind of that enforcer to back up Patrick Ewing and stuff like that and then you having Pat who is a really a great combination for inside out game so I just thought that that team was a very very special team and uh you know utilizing that jump shot again they were ahead of their time but utilizing that three-point shot I thought that they could definitely do some damage in the playoffs so now first round, they take on Charles Barkley and the Sixers. And Barkley had the Knicks number that year. The Sixers had beaten the Knicks four out of six that year. I believe Barkley was averaging something like 30 points and 10 boards, just completely dominating. Knicks had no answer for him. Um, how did you, how, what was your reaction to the way that series played out? Well, you know, it's so funny because I'm looking at the video. Mm-hmm. And when Mark just dunked the ball, I'm actually sitting on the sideline. Uh, and, and, and just remembering that series, it was back and forth. And this was a team that really had to grow up and I think really became battle tested because that was a great matchup for them in that first round. Mm-hmm. We're going up against a guy like Barkley, Mike Jaminski, a lot of veterans. And they really had to reach down because this was a team that hadn't been there before. But uh, it's funny because once that series was over and the Knicks closed them out in Philly, I remember getting the broom and Charles Oakley telling me, go get the broom. And that was the infamous thing where, uh, you know, some of the Sixers fans thought that they they were rubbing in the face. But uh, they told me to go get the broom and I went and got the broom and they were out there. And I believe that they swept them. So, yeah, so they they swept them three zip. Each game yes. came down to pretty much the buzzer. Uh, now, this was back in the day when they had five-game series in the first round. Right. So right, right, you had right. to win three, and you had to make sure that you at least split those first two, or else it was a tough sledding. But the Knicks were able to uh, sweep them in three. Gerald Wilkins' overtime heroics. 
So now I'm showing the video now with with them yeah. um, bringing the broom out. So you went where into the back uh, of yeah, the I'm stadium right there. to you get the me? broom. Yeah, you saw. If you go back to that clip, you'll see me after I, I went and got the, the broom was on the back of the stanchion of the um, of the uh, back of like uh, the basket, and they was just like, "Go get the broom, get the broom." Mm. So I'm actually sitting there on the sidelines, and if you go back. Once the guy that's walking there, if you see me, I'm right behind. Yeah, that's me there behind next to Kenny, uh, Kenny Walker. <laughs> so we were like, you know, they was like, get the broom, get the broom. Yeah. Bring the broom out. And uh, it became a big thing, you know, Eddie Lee, Eddie Lee Wilkins and all these guys. And uh, I think a lot of people felt that they were trying to rub it in the face. Yeah, there, there was a lot of people that did not, uh, you know, take too <laughs> kindly to that type of sportsmanship. But um, still, still funny to this day, man. Salute to Knicks Nation. CP from Knicks Fan TV here. And this episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They work with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. Now, I'm always in the market for supplements that are both clean and give you a good performance. And what I like about Ladder is I'll take a pre-workout shake and it'll give you like a nice energy going into it. You get your workouts in, but it doesn't give you that hangover effect like a lot of the other supplements do. And then after my workout, I'll take a whey protein shake, even like vanilla or chocolate. And what I like about the protein shakes are they don't give you that aftertaste that a lot of the other shakes do. So you can actually mix it with water or I typically mix it with like a smoothie, a berry smoothie or a green smoothie. And it goes down right. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock the best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use this code better every day. For 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day for 30% off at ladder.sport. Peace. So they would end up facing the Bulls in the next round. Knicks were the two seed. Bulls were the six seed. Had just beaten the three seed Cavaliers on the infamous Jordan shot against Craig Elo. Um... Knicks would end up losing in six, man. What what was your recollection of how that series went? I all I can remember as after the Knicks beat the the Sixers, mm-hmm. I was kind of like you know I was kind of like torn because I said, man, can you imagine a series of having Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls come to New York City? And this is now I believe a four out of seven series. So you're mm-hmm. gonna have them at Madison Square Garden, and the, you know the mecca is just gonna be so much energy in there, and having him come there. I thought it'd be great, but he was scary. <laughs> you know, he was very scary. And, 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 you know, it was also a flip side of that. And I thought that perhaps they could have a better chance of beating the Bulls compared to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who back then, you know, they had Mark Price, Larry Nance, John yeah. Hot Williams, rest in peace, Craig Elo. They just had a very formidable team that was very difficult defensively. Uh, Brad Doherty was a legit scorer. So th- this was a team I thought would really give the Knicks some problems, mm-hmm. but you have an upstart Chicago Bulls team back then. I thought that they would have a sure chance of beating Michael Jordan. Jordan damn near averaged 35 and 10 in this series. Couple 40 point games. It would go down to the wire in Chicago, man. Nine seconds left. Trent Tucker, Knicks are down four. Trent Tucker hits the three and one. 
you damn near jump off the bench, the first person off the bench. I mean, well, what was the, um, you know, the thoughts there in those closing seconds, man? Man, I, I tell you, you know, it's so funny seeing all these highlights and stuff. Uh, first of all, when I got there, um, I went out uh, after the team. So I, I actually took the train out there because I had finished. I think it was just something I was doing. I couldn't even leave the school or whatever and uh, got out there. But I flew back with them. But the, the interesting thing about it was is that going into Chicago Stadium and that back then, it was just really it was in the hood, you know, mm, people yeah. were, you know, parking lots was just alleys and stuff like that. And then you go in, it's funny because you walk down into the stadium and then you come up and to hear the fan roar. And when they would play that, 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 and you know, the bulls anthem and stuff like that and get them in. Now it was deafening to hear that. And I mean, that was perhaps the loudest arena I've ever been in where fans were screaming and, mm. There was nothing but, again, it, it was it worked as a true, true home court advantage. And when he hit that, I thought that they would be able to pull it out because I think that was my last year officially as a ball boy before I went away to school. Yeah, and, and uh, so the Knicks did end up tying it up but with six seconds left. Jordan drives and gets fouled by, I believe it was either Johnny Newman or Tucker and hits the two free throws to win the game. Knicks would end up losing in six, and, and that was year, the end of year run as the ball boy. So now you moved to Boston for college? Yes, I was up okay. there. I was going to junior college playing some ball up there at uh, Mount Ida College. And um, Mike Saunders had asked me, you know, hey, you're going to school. Would you, you know, like to work for the Knicks, uh, work for the Celtics? And I said, uh, you know, sure, why not? So yeah. I, I think I had met the um, the trainer or wanted to did a favor for them and ran an errand for them. Mm-hmm. One of the players, I think, lost their jersey or had their jersey stolen. So I had to go get a jersey from Cosby's that used to be downstairs. So this, this was Larry, took, wasn't this Larry Bird? Yeah, this was Larry Bird. So I think somehow they lost his jersey or something. Mm-hmm. And I had to get a, a jersey from Cosby's, took a cab out to the Meadowlands and took it back and took care of him for that. And because of that, they were like, you know, would you like to work there? And so they made a phone call and um, it was understood. You know, I used to be a ball boy for the Knicks. Yeah. You know, Larry, Dennis Johnson, all those guys knew me. So it was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, no problem. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it, it became a little issue, I guess, in the playoffs. And I was just wondering if they would face the Knicks, how would it be? But, uh, how would it be? So so you <laughs> infiltrated enemy territory. You're in Boston working for the Celtics, literally and figuratively, enemy territory. Jerry Cosby's, which was a store, shout out my guy, Chris Shamus. He, 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 uh, we, we just did a uh, fan cave documentary on it, and he, he's got a, a all-star game John Starks jersey, a Jerry wow, Cosby okay. one, and he also has a Rory Sparrow authentic Ooh. Jerry Cosby one as well. Yeah, you got to see that episode, uh, Gerald. When you get a chance, I'll send you the link. But anyway, definitely, definitely. So, so Bird loses his jersey. You go to Cosby. Get a Boston Larry Bird jersey, take it over the tunnel, through the tunnel, to the Meadowlands where they're playing the, the Celtics are playing the Nets. Get him the jersey, and that's pretty much how you kind of cemented your role there as the as the ball boy. Right, yeah, and they because Mike Saunders talked to them, and yeah, they were like, sure, no problem, you know. And I, all I had to do was just get in the cab, mm-hmm. you know, wait, had the cab driver wait, <laughs> went in, they met me at the tunnel, mm-hmm. got back in the cab, and went back to the garden. So, I mean, this is still, this is 1989, 1990. Red Auerbach is still the coach of the Celtics. I mean, this is arguably the greatest basketball coach in our history. 
What was that like? What was like that dynamic like being around him? Well, he was the president. I think he was like the president of the team. And mm. I think uh, it was either Jimmy Rogers, I think, was the Jimmy Rogers coach. was the coach. That, yeah. yeah. You know, it was funny because, uh, you know, the garden was something all that I'd known. And you're talking about the locker rooms and see how it was set up. And the Boston Garden, when I first got there, I, I just couldn't believe how run down it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I put my coat inside the um, – the main locker room where the players put their coats on. I'll never forget it. I had just gotten a coat, brand new coat. It was up there. And I put my coat inside the locker room and putting it inside the locker room. Um, I, I ended up putting it in the locker room. And the next thing you know, I, I come back after the game and my coat was stolen. So <laughs> I, I couldn't understand that. It, it was freezing cold. It was the winter. And, you know, I, I just couldn't stand it. And this was a, a, a security guard guard in the locker room. Uh, and, and it was it was hard. It was gut wrenching, man, because uh, I had to go back on the train and, and had no coat with a sweat on. And then uh, the next day, next game, Dennis Johnson gave me money. God rest his soul. Yeah, he gave me him. money. He was like, hey, man, go buy you a coat, man. Sorry that that happened. But, uh, Somebody knew from that time, man, that you were a Knicks fan and they were messing with you, Gerald. <laughs> That's how those Bostonians go, man. You can't trust them. Left you out there in the cold with no jacket. Come on, man. Yeah. That, 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 that was by design for sure. 100 percent man do you feel like you know when you were working with the celtics i remember i was reading the jordan rules and and you would always hear about uh the urban legends about what's going on in the celtics locker room you know they turn the heat up to 100 degrees or you know some of the gamesmanship that 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 they would do on the opponents did you ever see any of that kind of going on in, in the stadium no, I think some of that might have just been folk tales and stuff because the place was just a really rundown arena. And if mm. you think about it, it was during that era of time that we started to move into a time and place where a lot of these old arenas were sort of being phased out because it was just really a rundown arena, you know, with the dead spots and the floor. The, it, it was so hot and humid in there because, again, you know, with all the people in there, proper like a ventilation in there, it was definitely a building that had uh, run its course. Yeah, absolutely interesting. So now, so now the Knicks and the Celtics both finished four and five, respectively, uh, in the East. Collision course into the first round. Game one, uh, Knicks are visiting Boston. They they would lose game one by about eleven points. Um, what was, what was your reaction? Just, just knowing that your team was coming into town and that you're working for the enemy, you know, how, how did you see yourself in that situation? Uh, you know, it was funny because, you know, Larry, uh, I used to ride back and forth from my school, uh, on Sundays when they would have the tea, wasn't running early enough for the Sunday afternoon games that would used to be on CBS. And I would ride back with him. And I remember, we were going, we rode into Boston together and Larry just kept telling me, you know, man, he was, what he was going to do to the Knicks. He was going to kill Johnny Newman. He couldn't <laughs> guard him. And here we were in this car and I'm sitting there and this guy was just going off and off. But um, I sat up under the basket and all the guys knew that. So he was good with it. He was laughing. I didn't have an impact or effect on the game whatsoever. So uh, that first game, they crushed them, man. And it, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I was hoping that the Knicks win because, like I said, those were my big brothers. And um, I was just hoping that they win. And then uh, they lost that first game. And then they come back for game two. 
uh, that's when everything got a little crazy and stuff and, uh, you know, really started the whole thing. Yeah, so so first of all, I, I think it's, it's crazy that you and Larry Bird are basically carpooling to the games. Yeah. You know, that, <laughs> that, that's just crazy how you kind of just slipped that in there. But um, the trash talk of Larry Bird, that that is certainly common knowledge. I mean, I was uh, watching, you know, old interviews with Magic and Patrick Ewing, and then they would always just talk about, you know, how foul Bird was on the court, man. He would just destroy your ego on the court, man. Yeah. So... Okay, so now we lose the game, game one by about 11. So now what happens with you after that? So, you know, uh, game two comes. I'm coming in, just regular thing, and I'm, I'm actually going into the restroom uh, of the, the Celtics locker room, and then all of a sudden this guy who's like the head manager, his name is Pete, he comes in, and while I'm using the bathroom, he's like, hey, you've been fired by – Red Arbeck, you've been fired. Uh, Red Arbeck, you've been fired by Red Arbeck for cheering for the Knicks, and I was <laughs> laughing at first. And I was like, huh? I was like, man, get out of here! You use bathroom, man. We wash my ass. Get out of here. He was <laughs> like, no, and he said it again. Yeah. And then he goes into his pocket and pulls out this envelope, which was my pay, and I was like, what? And he just said, he just delivered the message, and I can remember just walking out of the locker room, and um. You know, I was just shocked and I kind of got teary-eyed and I go into the Knicks locker room to tell them and they were pissed, man. And like, I was just going to leave and Patrick was like, nah, man, stay. It was like, what? And Charles Oakley was like, what? Are you serious? And they were just so amped up. They was like, nah, 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 you staying, you staying. And so I sat on the sidelines with them for the second game. Uh, they got hammered. And then I, I came back to, whatchamacallit, um you know, and, and really came back and stuff and just made sure that I was there for the, the third game. And, you know, they were really, uh, it told me I, I was a good luck charm. So they won three and four. And then I had to go back because I think it coincided with like my spring break. I went back for game five and um, that's when it happened. And they were telling me, they was like, yo, you know, win this game, go throw that towel, put the towel over the leprechaun. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, they, they told me the story, and it was uh, the story was that during game two, before game two in film, the Knicks were actually, uh, excuse me, the Celtics were actually watching the video of the game. And uh, Larry just says, Man, look at Gerald cheering for the Knicks like that. Oh. And Red Arbeck <laughs> thought he was serious, and Red told him to get rid of me. And uh, Larry had told me that, you know, if you want your job back or whatever, you get it back. But I was cool. So that's why, you know, it was it brought me nothing but great pleasure to really weigh that towel and yeah. see them go ahead and send them home. Absolutely, man. That's interesting stuff. But then on top of that game, too, that same game where where you, you're back with your old team, reunited, they get blown out by 30 points, man. They're down in the series two zip. <laughs> that had to have been tough to take, man, in enemy territory on the road. Yeah, it, tough it was definitely it was tough it was uh it wasn't gonna look good yeah it, it definitely looked good but I think the thing that was really interesting about that team it was just like the fact is that the uh residual you know the fortitude and just the, the toughness of that team it was truly amazing and how they stuck together and I always felt that team was kind of 
you know, the start of sort of the downward spiral, if you will, for the Knicks all the way to this point. I think that, you know, if Patino would have stayed, you know, they might have been able to, you know, again, get over the hump. And granted, Jordan was there. But I thought that they were really, really a team that was going to be tough and athletic. And again, like I said before, utilizing that three-point shot would really offset a lot of Michael Jordan and things of that nature. But from Patino leaving, then you brought in Stu Jackson, who really couldn't hold it down. Mm. And then obviously they go decide to go with Pat Riley, who, you know, was there for a cup of coffee. And then it was Jeff Van Gundy. And then it just really kind of slid all the way down. But uh, it's it just been really one of those things where you go back, that team was a very, very special team. And if you're talking about that team staying together, adding some pieces, who knows how things would have yeah. played out for them later yeah. on in the 90s. And and even even during those Patino years, if they do execute a Mullen trade, I mean, they ended up working out John Starks in, in the summer of, that, uh, summer of 1990. And, yeah. And so you could have potentially had a lineup of – uh, something along the lines of Ewing, Chris Mullen, John Starks. You know, maybe you still have Mark Jackson there. That that could have been um something to see, man. Could have definitely yeah. been something to see, for sure. <laughs> you know that that series with the Celtics going in and they come back. They would end up coming back uh, down to zip and winning uh, three in a row. They had lost something like twenty six um straight in Boston, so. I mean, it was almost like a miracle that they even came back and won. So maybe it was you that was the good luck charm after all, man. Yeah, I, and you know what? I started to believe that, and the guys was like, man, you, you staying here. Yo, you got to come to the games, and, you know, uh, you definitely come to the games. And that was a special, special team because yeah. the pieces that they added, I really felt that they were just a couple of pieces away. And, you know, the, the decision, like I said before, from Patino – even the Rod Strickland trade, you know, they mm-hmm. traded Rod for Maurice Cheeks. It, it just really, really wasn't good moves that they made. And I think that that has kind of been sort of the the history of the Knicks, some of the head scratchers, uh, some moves of getting guys that were kind of, you know, past their prime, a la Kiki Vandeway, Rolando Blackman, mm-hmm. Doc Rivers somewhat, yeah. Derek Harper, right. really getting guys that were at the tail end of their A little careers. too late. A little too yeah. late. Too late. Yeah. yeah, and and so that that was really a, a hurtful thing, but you know, hopefully yeah. they'll turn it around. Yeah, hopefully, man. Um, two two more quick questions before I go and salute to everybody in the chat. Hit that thumbs up button for you boys. Uh, we're talking to Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show and Sirius XM, also co-host of the Lex Get Technical Podcast featuring Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells. Uh, you know, Gerald, we had Oak on the show. Uh, since then, uh, he, well, on our show, he, he made some comments about Patrick Ewan, called him soft, said he was high maintenance, hard to deal with um, as a player. He since kind of doubled down on those remarks on on shows after that. Um, wh- what do you make of his comments? I mean, the, the, these are guys that you still look up to to this day. Wh- what did you make of um, Oakley's comments about Ewan? Well, you know, both of them, I still consider them my brothers and um you know, it, it's it's sad, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I think that a lot of issues that they've had public, privately has now become publicly. And, you know, one thing about Charles, Charles gave his heart and his soul to the Knicks. And, and, and really that's why I think he's adored by all the Knicks fan base. Cause you know, again, he's a people's person. He'll walk out in the street, he'll talk to everybody. 
And um, he, he really was a guy that just basically um, gave his heart and his soul. And then I, I just think that this stems from the fact of the things that transpired with him and James Dolan yeah. in terms Triple of down. just, yeah, and, and, and it hurts. And I think, you know, obviously not having the support of Patrick has really bothered him. And um, I've tried to get those two together and just be in a situation where they could get together and possibly speak and, and, and just talk about so many things that they bothered, that bothered them and stuff. And that's Patrick's kind of DNA. You know, he's been kind of reserved and it's been kind of uncomfortable for him, but I would hope that they would basically be in a situation that they could rectify the situation publicly. And even with, you know, the owner of James Dolan, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm a New Yorker, love the New York Knicks and stuff. But, you know, again, to see that happen with Charles, you know, something has to be done. And, I, you know, I went to the game and the Lakers played the, the the Knicks played the Lakers and got an opportunity to be in a room with him, James Dolan, Steve Mills and Scott Perry. Yeah, I think, you know, Dolan gets a bad rap in some way, you know, in terms of some of the stuff he does you know, and, and, and just trying to help this franchise. I think I don't condone any of the things he's done in terms of the fans and, and, and having these things he says, but I think the best thing he can do coming off of this, this whole pandemic and stuff is really extend an olive branch to Charles Oakley and bring him back into the mix because it just doesn't look good for the franchise. And maybe that would be something that gets the, you know, jump starts the organization yeah. turned around in the right direction. Yeah, hopefully, man. You know, I mean, we certainly made our attempts, and and hopefully they'll they'll rectify the situation at least for the fan base while this team goes through a rebuild, man. Um, well, John, I know you got to go. I, I definitely appreciate uh, the time that you gave us here and dropping some jewels on back in the days and taking a trip down memory lane. Uh, hopefully, you'll you'll come back and join us, man. Um, let the fans know where they can find you. Hey, definitely, always, and man, always, I'd love to come back on anytime, man, and talk some uh, current Nick stuff, but uh, you can find me on Instagram as well as on Twitter, uh, Gerald BLSS. I got to get my Instagram follower game up, so I'm going to be working on that, but uh, thank you for having me, brother. Peace and love. Great what you're doing, and uh, like I said in the future, I'd love to come on and talk about the Knicks and uh, hopefully talk about them. Uh, back to talking about basketball yeah sure thing Gerald will be safe and um, thanks again for joining us man definitely appreciate the time yeah definitely thank you for having me alright man take care that was uh, Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show, Sirius XM Radio. He co-hosts that show with Rick Mahorn. He also has a podcast with BJ Armstrong. Does some work with BJ Armstrong as well. And uh, Let's Get Technical, the podcast with Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells. You can catch that on YouTube or on your major podcast platforms as well. So, good interview. You know, I just want to take a trip down memory lane. It is Thursday, and uh, we've been playing a lot of classic games. You've seen a lot of classic content on msg so we want to do the same thing just put a different spin on it we want to talk about some of our classic moments with people who were actually there you know give you a different perspective on a different take on it so gerald's is definitely right up there man so uh i hope you guys enjoyed it salute to everybody in the chat salute to gregory w andrew ishmael i see keith sinclair rome greg kent scott i appreciate it john talento chris shamis in the building chris how you feeling um, we'll be back on some point this weekend. We'll catch up. We'll take some phone calls. Not tonight. We'll take some phone calls this weekend. Catch up with the family. Hope you guys are uh, doing well during the quarantine, man. Tribal Jigolo, I see you. Appreciate it. Remember that these shows are available 
in audio podcast format, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, and Stitcher. If you guys are Apple Podcasts, iTunes listeners, if you can just leave us a review on iTunes, it would go a long way. Definitely appreciate it. And as usual, man, please share this show on Facebook, on, on Instagram, Twitter, email, text. Send it to a friend that's a Knicks fan. If you know someone that's a Knicks fan that has not yet seen our shows or heard our podcast, bring them in. The more the merrier, man. We, we, we want as many people as, as possible uh, to support us, and in turn, we'll continue to deliver quality content. So, uh, yeah, man, that's it for me. Just a quick show, quick interview, and I'll catch up with you guys uh, this weekend, man. Be safe.